If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Welcome to a, dare I say, special installment of J.C. and Morgan. He is J.C. Sherbert of the Big Spur of 24-7 Sports. And uh, world-renowned thespian that was uh, performed many great acting stints uh, off off Broadway, if you will. I am Mike Morgan of uh, ESPN SEC Network, and I, I haven't acted, but I but I'd like to. I'd like to do something uh, someday, maybe on stage, maybe in just like a like a really really low income, low budget. Uh, and maybe like seven people show up, but I could at least add it to the resume. Uh, we welcome you to, uh, I say somewhat special, it's number 150, JC. Did you know that? This is the big 150 of our podcast. So we don't have balloons, we don't have fireworks, we don't have circus clowns, mm. because mainly I'm fearful of circus clowns. Uh, but kudos in order to the great staff, all the people that have... Uh, <laughs> helped us over the years uh all the interns and uh segment producers and directors and uh no in all seriousness it's it's pretty much been just me and you for this time and uh we've we've been we've managed to carve out a pretty good following that continues to grow and now for the second straight podcast we also have the the benefit of having an actual producer help us out we'll hear from michael haney later on uh speaking a, a man of many, many trades, but, uh, how are you doing? How's life in chi town? You haven't hit a full winter yet, right? Nah, not yet. It's getting colder, but, uh, doing well. Um, interesting, uh, time in college football right now when, um, you know, I'm sitting there wondering what the heck the playoff committee's doing when they rank. And then I remind myself, it really doesn't matter because things are going to take care of themselves and there's all this outrage and stuff. And I'm, I'm sort of scratching my head, but I'm not outraged. I'm wondering who's going to get the LSU job. I'm wondering who's going to get the TCU job. The Virginia tech job is now open. So the coaching carousel is starting to spin. And, and it was posed to me today. I was on the radio in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, like I am every Wednesday, and it was said, is the early signing date good for college football? And initially, I always kind of thought, yeah, get them signed early. It takes away from, you know, you can get ahead in January by doing it, whatever. But the more I think about it, you know, because the, the host of the show said he, he was for an August signing period. And I think I was too, but I was fine with December. Now I'm like, I'm like, that probably needs to happen because – Man, these guys are getting fired and being shown the door, and, and 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 the idea is we need to get somebody in here that can recruit. But reality is, most people you're going to try to get in there are already coaching somewhere, and so I don't even know that it helps other than you're you're throwing your program into chaos and firing people. I'm not going to say too early because the writing's on the wall, but 
uh, I, I would call it unnecessary chaos, but I know we're going to talk about that. Now, that's just kind of been on my mind this week. Yeah, is that, that's on the hot is, Haney five, as a matter of fact. The early signing period, good for the sport all the way around. And I, I, I don't know the answer. But other than that, yeah, really good um, – Really good weekend. We this is the second straight year, third straight year, I think, that we've avoided SoCon Saturday in the SEC because there are some SEC matchups. It's not great, <laughs> but it's not like a list of the Mercers and Georgia Georgia Southerns of the world or whatever. Hey, hey, don't you knock SoCon Saturday? I'm a part of that coverage with number yeah. one Georgia battling Charleston Southern. You on any given Saturday, JC, do not count out Charleston Southern. The Buccaneers, Tony Tony Alford, former Notre Dame running backs, the head coach there uh, at Charleston Southern. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal used to be the coach of Charleston Southern. You mean Austin and it used to, be, used to be called, here's some trivia, the Baptist College of Charleston is what it used to be called before it changed names to Charleston I had, Southern. So. I did not know that. Oh, Baptist College. Yeah. Autry Denson, who is who you meant on the, the head coach. Oh, I'm de- yeah, Tony Alford's at uh, Ohio State or somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, my bad, if, my bad. If, Sorry, Autry. That's all right. Autry's the the all-time leading Notre Dame rusher. In fact, he and Kirby were uh, contemporaries, both played at their respective schools uh, uh, around the same time. Uh, That that game itself won't get a whole lot of uh, attention on the podcast, although I I am amazed just sitting and and looking at the depth chart and you just – you count all the four- and five-star guys and uh, guys from California, guys from Vegas – guys from Texas, guys from all corners of, of America that uh, decided to, to go to Georgia. And that, that's how they built that machine. And to Kirby's credit, I will say this. I wouldn't say he's self-deprecating, but he will come right out and tell you, even if it's a subtle dig at Dan Mullen in the process, uh, great players make brilliant coaches, not the other way around. And they've just out recruited everybody not named Alabama, uh, and that is how they've gotten to this point. As you pointed out in our discussion before we came on, then they find some diamonds in the rough, like a Jordan Davis, uh, who a lot of people thought was was too heavy or maybe an offensive lineman didn't fit the part. And so and then you get a Stetson Bennett who's a walk on and you make a decision that he's not it's not even popular with Georgia fans. And you just say, yeah, I know he looks like an accountant. I know he has uh, the, the name of a guy that plays at Bushwood uh, with Judge Smells. But and I know he's not big, but he's our best guy that gives us the best chance of winning. So you you have a few of those diamond in the rough stories, but for the most part, it's just stud after stud after stud, NFL guy after NFL guy after NFL guy. Uh, speaking of NFL, so I'm I'm on the left coast uh, this past week, and I was calling Chargers Vikings. Uh, and first off, SoFi Stadium is ridiculous. You know, ten years ago. I was at the Super Bowl in Dallas, Jerry World, and and that is a phenomenal venue. I'm not taking away anything from it, and it is bigger. Well, it's in Texas, so it's got to be bigger, right? It's bigger than SoFi. SoFi sits about seventy thousand people. Uh, SoFi is about two and a half miles from LAX, right across the street from the old Los Angeles Forum, where the Lakers used to uh, entertain the masses, but. I've never seen anything like this. This $5 billion goes a long, long way. And the national uh, college football playoff, the championship game will be there next year. If you've got a chance to go, if your team is in it, I know tickets will be expensive. I know it costs a lot of money to get out there. 
Oh boy, but it's, it is one hell of a venue. And of course that the weather is 80, <laughs> excuse me, 85 and sunny and perfect. And, you know, as much as certain people try to ruin the great state of, of California, this beautiful piece of land and everything else, uh, gosh, there's a lot going for uh, that part of the country. And it, and it got me to thinking JC, because we always hear what about the Pac-12 and colleges on the left coast. It's such a disadvantage to play in that time zone, right? Three hours earlier, because if you play it, <laughs> excuse me, I don't know where this is coming from. I get choked up when I talk about the left coast. When you play three hours earlier than everybody else, you're either really late when a lot of people are sleeping, probably not us, but like normal people with normal jobs, uh, that you know, don't necessarily stay up till one in the morning watching Pac-12 after dark, or they, you know, they tried the gimmick of of kicking games off nine a.m. locally, which is noon West Coast time, uh, and, and that that still is a thing. I mean, that's Fox's signature game, right? It's Fox Fox College Football at noon. Uh, so they're, 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 the disadvantages we always hear about, but I got to tell you, like as a sports fan. To be able to wake up in the morning and you don't really have to wait long at all for the games to get started, man. 9 a.m. and they're kicking it off. And then like the the night game that some people are like, well, it's too late. Oh, hell, that's starting like like 4.30. Like I could get used to that whole thing. I've been an East Coast guy my whole life. But first off, there's a lot of beautiful territory uh, on the the West Coast. Like I said, in spite of the fact that so many uh, people have tried to ruin it for everybody else, but it is, it's, it's beautiful there. And the time zone thing, I, I get it. Uh, it hurts Heisman trophy cases. It hurts uh, certain teams getting exposure. A lot of the, the Christian McCaffrey year, for example, which I, I, by the way, as one of the people that voted for him to win the Heisman and he didn't because I watched a lot of those games and Christian McCaffrey was the best player in college football this year. He did it that year. He did everything, but most people don't see it. So you get hurt by it. It's a disadvantage. It hurts the PAC 12 in a lot of ways, but I got to tell you for the people that live there, they wouldn't trade it for anything. They love it. There's actually no doubt. I mean, you know, that that's a, uh... Football on the West Coast is really – because I think a lot of times for us down south and, I mean, obviously I'm not down south. Folks in the, the heartland or wherever, they they sort of see the coastal part of our country as, you know, both coasts is like different, right? And, and college football is in a lot of ways sort of a uh, – something that's very popular uh, – at smaller places like the state of Alabama or wherever. But what the beauty of college football, Mike, is this. It's 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 that it can happen anywhere. Um, you can have – you've had great college football dynasty types in the middle of Los Angeles uh, all the way to Auburn, Alabama, you know, very different places, right? Uh, you've got a pretty successful college football program in Boston, Massachusetts, from Boston College. People don't understand Boston College actually wins games. They're not great, but it happens there in a little place called Chestnut Hill. Um, it, it can happen anywhere, and, and I think that's the beauty of it. And you know, for years, too, people don't understand too. California high school football wise is really, really good. 
I mean, and they have a junior college system that's really, really good as far as – it is a football area. We don't really think about it, but and a lot of it's because of the weather. A lot of it's because of the size of the state. But uh, there's really good football out there. So I, uh, I'm i with you. I, I sort of figured when you told me you were going out there, I was like, Mike's going to really like this. <laughs> And uh, and I'm sure he'll have good things to say because when I when I used to have to go to the West Coast for for work when I was traveling for covering recruiting I loved I loved making those trips it's just yeah. it's different but at the same time it's it's comforting because th- there's still that passion there for the game. It's first time I've called a football game there. I did, I did a, a basketball game at Southern Cal many moons ago, and I've done college football at Arizona State, which is another awesome awesome venue. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot going for, I I still maintain, and this is a whole sidebar and we'll get into the main subjects we came to talk about today. I still maintain the biggest obstacle to the PAC 12 was just poor leadership. And, and they are still digging out of that, that hole and everybody's entitled to make a mistake, but boy, the, the previous conference commissioner made a big one when he decided I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm going to launch my own network his background in women's tennis did not pay off in that respect. And they never fully recovered from that. And that's not the only thing you can't, if you're Southern Cal and you're UCLA and you're Arizona state and you're whatever other program that continually has been underachieving, you can't just blame all that on the television contract, but it, it was a monster boo-boo that they are still trying to recover from that among other things. Um, <laughs> Uh, some poor coaching hires. I mean, look at what they're going through at Washington right now. Boy, did that blow up in a hurry. Um, I thought that was supposed to be a brilliant hire. It wasn't. It it was not. Um, Yeah. I mean, they've just, they've had a a number of things and we'll talk about that. I mean, speaking of just head scratchers, you're Texas, you lose at home to Kansas. My goodness gracious. At some point you got to stop saying, well, all these coaching hires were awful, and that's the problem. There's something deeper there in Austin that seems to be a problem, if you ask me. Uh, all right, time to introduce the uh, third member of our distinguished crew for the second time. He made his debut on the last podcast. He is Michael Haney, producer to the stars, uh, longtime sports talk producer, and now uh, uh, continuing to uh, entertain the masses in the music industry but joining us uh each time here on jc and morgan michael how are you sir doing well gentlemen how about yourselves doing well i, I know you probably didn't catch a ton of football because you were you were on the road living the life living the life that people like jc and i would probably uh dream to have although i was I actually in the high seas mike you, well know, yeah it's true I, not tra- on land. I traded in the road for the uh <laughs> yeah. for the atlantic ocean for a few days yeah working with sister hazel and all that good stuff so we're we're back to the pedestrian world of uh sports talk on land uh, yeah, no i will less. say if you've never been to the rock boat or been on the rock boat you could do uh you do a lot worse vacations for yourself so check JC, it out see have you been on a rock boat before a rock boat is that like a boat with rock and roll yeah yeah it's uh i i guess to i guess the simple answer is it's a it's a music festival on a massive norwegian cruise ship is what it is but uh so, there's a lot more so down more with that. that yeah i uh yeah i would i've never been on one michael but my goodness 
Yeah. Try yeah. to try to Huge, include yeah, us on do. that next year. We'll do we'll do this podcast from the rock boat. From the rock boat. Yeah. And uh because we don't January, have to follow uh, January yeah. of twenty twenty three. That's the next one. Now. Okay, we're in. We don't have to follow the FCC guidelines. This is a podcast. So we whatever right. whatever goes on the rock boat. And we'll be in international waters. So you know. <laughs> oh gosh. No, I mean really <laughs> anything goes, my goodness. Uh yeah, we'll just have a hell of a time and uh you know, the rest of our careers might be done, but, but damn it, the podcast will still go uh, strong as can be. All right, Michael, uh, it's already become pretty much uh, woven into the fabric of American culture. Uh, that is the Haney Hot Five uh, for this podcast, where you come up with five particular topics that will bat around a little bit. So without further ado, what do you have for us today? All right, gentlemen. Well, we'll just start out with the with the nice, easy one, because it's the the newest news and uh, even though it's it's something that hasn't changed much. The college football playoff rankings came out. Um, no change at the top. However, there's something that, while I'm not completely outraged, it's for the second straight week, a bit of a head scratcher. Um, we know things will ultimately play themselves out. But um, we have Michigan and Michigan State, which we all saw with our own eyes, uh, Michigan State defeat the Wolverines. Yet the the Spartans find themselves one spot behind the Wolverines. The one thing that we do hold sacred uh, in the college football uh, game, gentlemen, is that if you play and uh, and you win, you get ranked up. If you have a similar record, uh, similar skill set, all of those things, you uh, you should be ranked ahead of the team that you beat on the field. However, uh, the college football playoff committee has chosen for whatever their reasons may be, it, it could just be for this very discussion uh, to embrace debate, to drive uh, conversation about the poll itself. Uh, but we actually had uh, Gary Barta say last night, uh, this is a direct quote, uh, set aside watching the games, though that's certainly part of it. Statistically, and about every category, offensively and defensively, Michigan comes out on top over Michigan State end quote. Guys, I, I get it. I know they're going to play Ohio State. We're going to figure these things out, but it's kind of hard at times to take some of this stuff seriously if the one thing, the one thing that we all hold sacred is the is the on-field result doesn't get honored in this particular situation. Your thoughts? I'll be quick on this, JC. Um, look, it'd be one thing if Michigan had one loss, Michigan State had two or three easy justification to put one over the other. But if it's the same record with similar strength of schedule, and we just saw the head to head, this is a really hard one to justify. Now, truth be told, I think Michigan's a better team. I watched that game. They were up 30 to 14. Michigan state had a fourth and long and Michigan gave up a huge play. And from that point on, they just self-destructed, but the game is the game and the game counts. And I would hate to be Gary Barta, uh, and I'm not going to say he's such an easy target. I'm not going to pile on Gary Bardas. I, I heard Luke Fickle say, yes, has he even played the game? Um, yes, he has. He was actually part of national championship teams at the FCS level. But that's not even relevant. Like, that's a silly argument. Uh, and it makes you sound kind of silly when you make it. Uh, the, the point is, is that, remember, Barda is just a, a mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. There, there's 13 members on this committee. Most of them athletic directors, Mitch Barnhart of Kentucky, uh, you've got the Arizona State AD, the NC State, the Colorado, the K-State. You've got a couple of former players. You've got Tyrone Willingham, who always oh. appears to be on these, uh, on these committees. 
Uh, and who else? We, we got like Louis, the, the, the oil change guy down the street. No, it's uh, uh, vice president for athletics and community wellness at Virginia Union, Joe Taylor. I don't know what the hell that is. Anyway, those are the guys that made the vote. So they throw Barta up there, and he's in a no-win situation, and he tries to explain it, and he just looks worse and worse every time he does it. But I would just tell people to channel your frustrations with the 13 people in that room that actually vote, and they, they keep putting themselves in this situation where you look really bad doing it. You don't have to do this. Like, like Michael said, it is going to work out. In the Big Ten, it will work itself out because everybody's playing one another here down the stretch. So why give ammunition to the people that say you guys are a bunch of boobs that don't know what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I, you know, it, it, I, I think we live in an outraged society in a lot of ways. And people, when you, especially with this sport, and the passion that comes with it and the uh, subjective nature of how we determine things. I mean, shoot, we, we – uh, in this sport, we use optics to get players. We we use optics sometimes to decide how good players are before they even play. We 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 use optics to determine who goes to the playoff. I mean, I get it, uh, and and I think that it's almost overemphasized. But but you're right, Mike. I mean, you know, trotting this dude out there, it, it's kind of like what what's the guy's name uh, that that uh, is Char- Bill Hancock. Oh, yeah, another one. Bill Hancock. Okay, so Hancock, uh, you know, he's probably one of the nicest guys in in all of college football that has anything to do with any sort of college football, right? Uh, Everybody you talk to that knows him, loves him, thinks he's a good guy. This guy, for years and years and years, you would ask him a direct question and nothing but a steaming pile of horse poop would come out of his mouth, and you knew it. Oh, we're perfectly happy with the BCS. <laughs> oh, we have uh, even like two weeks before they announced the playoff. Oh, we're fine with our model right now. You know, meanwhile, they're working on the daggum, uh, you know, playoff things. They've been working on for two years. So, you, you know, his job was kind of to run interference. Um, and, and I think that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, that's why I, I would not want this job. You know, Gary Bartos, poor guy. I, I would not want to be him. Um, no. Uh, what, they give him a gift all. certificate to Applebee's. I mean, I don't, I don't think it pays anything. <laughs> yeah, no, you're just there. And, and look, I, I, I think that I would like to see some metrics and, uh, uh, you know, I guess more uh, objective criteria added uh, to the college football playoff committee. Um, like they do in basketball where they use the net rankings and stuff. You still don't get the same thing every year in basketball, but you get – you can kind of guess and tell and go, okay, well, this is why this is that. Um, they don't use any of that in football. It's just like, all right, let's rank them, boys and girls. You know, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, and because that committee changes, you have different criteria. You and you can always throw the eyeball test up there. Now, and I'll say this: as far as Michigan, Michigan State goes, looking at those two teams, other than Michigan's brand is better. I just don't see a nickel's bit of difference between what they've done on the field. Nice win at Penn State this weekend, but in case we haven't noticed, uh, Penn State's gone in the crapper uh, the last few weeks, including losing to Illinois. 
the last two uh, years. You know, I mean, you, everybody, well, what about this loss to Purdue? Well, Iowa was second in the country. Purdue cut them. Um, they're kind of the upset team this year. So, so I don't, I don't know. Other, other than Michigan being Michigan and Michigan State being Michigan State, that's the question. So, so that's the the problem with that is is that when you do that, you know, and there's really not a nickel's bit of difference between the two. You sort of go, well, you're going to defer to the big brand regardless of if we beat them or not. And then that's unfortunate. But, you know, who knows if that's the case or not. You know, eyeball test-wise, Mike, I think Michigan's probably a better football team than Michigan State. And I did watch that game just like you did. Michigan had them whipped, and it was just a credit Michigan State with coming back. But when you're just looking at the resume – I, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. I guess, I guess Michigan State has the worst loss because they lost that, lost to Purdue and and all that. But you know, we'll just see. And and regardless of you know, in spite of all this, this is all getting worked out because Ohio State's in their division, and I don't think Michigan State's played either one of those. Or Ohio State's not played either one of those teams. So you know, Here's this you is all going to get figured out here pretty soon. Here's where you lose people. When you've got a, a situation like that, and they just watched Michigan State win the game, albeit in a uh, come-from-behind fashion, uh, and and your rationale, your justification for flip-flopping those two is things like offensive and defensive efficiency. Nobody wants to hear that. I mean, that's just it, <laughs> nobody wants that. Those kind of metrics work a lot better in college basketball than they do in college football. They just do. Uh, college football is not a sport uh, that really lends itself to offensive and defensive efficiency tr- truly telling the story. I can buy Michigan in a rematch would be uh, a favorite to beat Michigan State, and I still think top to bottom is a better team. And I, I'm not just basing that on brand name. I mean, I think Michigan – I think this is Harbaugh's best overall team. Yeah, and and I, and I think Michigan State's a great story, uh, and they've got a coach of the national coach of the year candidate who deserves all the credit in the world for what he's done this year. But but uh, but I don't think Michigan State is a great team, um, and we might look back at all this as a waste of oxygen if Ohio <laughs> State beats Michigan again, <laughs> and and Ohio State who might be the only team in the country that can score on Georgia. Um, you know, maybe we'll just we'll just laugh that we even spent this much time on it. And with that, I'm not going to spend any more time on it. Other than the only other storyline out there is Cincinnati to me, uh, because you know we knew Ohio State and Oregon would be three and four. We knew Georgia and Bama be one and two. Uh, and I'm sorry, Cincinnati fans. I'm sorry, Group Five fans. I'm sorry, Mike Oresco, who's about to lose Cincinnati anyway. I I just don't see a scenario where Cincinnati is getting in with this system, which is why you better, better support a 12 team playoff. Even if it's not exactly constructed the way you want it, because you are never getting in a 14 playoff. Uh, it, 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 there is just too many people in that room that don't want to see it happen. You really, I mean, so you think, sorry, it's a hypothetical, Mike. Okay. Cincinnati wins out, right? Yep. Gotcha. Uh, whoever comes out of the the Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan cluster will get in. Okay. 
Well, let's let's assume that Oregon gets in. Let's assume Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. Alabama with two losses gets in over undefeated Cincinnati. I think they would. And if it's not Alabama, if it's not a two-loss Alabama, maybe it's a one-loss Oklahoma. Maybe it's Oklahoma State. Maybe it's a one-loss Notre Dame, even though they lost to Cincinnati, which would be egregious to do that. What, what um, about a one-loss uh, Wake Forest coming out of the ACC? Yeah, I mean, if that happened, they, they, a one-loss Wake, a, a one-loss ACC champ will get in over Cincinnati. You think guarantee. so? I, I would guarantee you. I would guarantee that. The only way it doesn't happen is your scenario that you started with, which is if the dominoes fall and it truly comes down to a two-loss team from the Power Five in Cincinnati. I don't think I don't think Cincinnati's Cincinnati's beating a one-loss conference champion from the Power Five for that fourth and final slot. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. This is not me on my Power Five high horse. I'm not anti-group five at all. I'm just telling you, read the room. Look at these rankings. They're telling you. You know what's that expression? If somebody keeps showing you who they are, it's time to believe it. They're telling you. Cincinnati, your undefeated record doesn't mean nearly as much as these one-loss teams and their resume. They're telling you that when you beat Tulsa by a, a, a one touchdown, when game day is there, that that was your chance to really validate who you are and you didn't give us enough. You didn't win enough style points. Yeah. I just I just don't see it happening. Well, in Cincinnati, honestly, Mike, since they beat UCF 56-21, you know, you got to struggle against one of the worst Navy teams they've had in years. I mean, Navy's two and everybody like assumes, ah, Navy's probably 10 and 2 because you know they run they're 2 and 7 and fired their OC. Uh they had Tulane, which people probably also think is decent because of the oh, they played Oklahoma close in the in the uh in the opener, right? And they haven't watched any Tulane football since then. And Tulane's one and nine and 0 and six in the league. They were down at halftime. You mentioned the Tulsa game. And then USF, who shout out to Jeff Scott and Bobby Bentley and that staff, uh, you know, for, for putting points on the board uh, in a game that, you know, got away from them, but then they, they fought hard. That was an uninspiring win last Friday night, too, Mike. So, you know, beating – and look, all of this will be over if, if SMU and Sonny Dykes pull the upset, <laughs> which could happen Saturday. Uh, you know, it, it, and it may, and I may even pick it. But, um, you know, it, it hasn't been exactly like the Bearcats have been rolling over everybody since that win in South Bend. Another thing that hurts them too is, man, Indiana was supposed to at least be decent this year, and they're not. They're yeah. back to Indiana after mm-hmm. last year's really nice uh, deal with it. So, I mean, they're like uh, – they're not very good at all. Uh, they've won two games. So, and one was a two-point win against Western Kentucky. So, they're getting – they got blown out by Rutgers. So, so that hurts them too. I mean, and sometimes when you schedule, you know, oh, Indiana, it's on the road, and you're thinking going into the season, well, they, they won – five, they were they were they were they would have been in the playoff had we had an extended expanded playoff last year, uh, and now they're just terrible, and so that hurts them too. But I, I'm with you on hey, Cincinnati has not been 
they've won, but they haven't passed the eyeball test the last few years or fat past few weeks. And that win in South Bend is getting further and further in the rearview mirror. And in fact, I believe, Mike, if those two teams played tomorrow to, or Saturday, Notre Dame would probably win by two touchdowns. There you have it. Michael Haney, number two. All right. Uh, JC, you mentioned just a bit ago that uh, you, you don't envy having Garrett Barta's job. It's just an unenviable position to be in. Another one of those positions is to be the guy after the guy. So one of the somewhat surprising moves yesterday, Virginia Tech parted ways with Justin Fuente after six years. Uh, JC, we'll start with you. Uh, is that just simply a case of following Frank Beamer, the legend, and being the guy after the guy? Or were there just much deeper issues under Fuente's reign in Blacksburg? Nah, Fuente should have worked out. Um, that was actually when you looked, when that job opened up on 2015, Beamer retired, and you, you kind of look at the plan for Virginia Tech. It's like, well, you know, recruiting is important here, but it, it's more of a school where – they're going to go – they're more of a find player school than a school that's going to sign top ten classes. That's just – that's how it was built. And Beamer and his staff did a great job finding under-the-radar guys uh, and then sprinkling in the Michael Vicks and, you know, the Kevin Joneses and guys like that. I mean, they got to the point where they could do it. Um, and that's one style of recruiting. So you look at Fuente at Memphis, and they had what that Paxton Lynch kid that time, and they had found him down in South Florida. And you're like, oh, you know, this guy sees that his style of recruiting because he comes from the Gary Patterson coaching tree and all that. This evaluation and all that's pretty good. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, what what nobody knew at the time, and 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 Fuente kind of had talked to some other schools during during that search. And had straight up just said, I don't, I don't like to recruit and I'm not going to get involved with this stuff and all this other stuff. I don't think anybody realized just how bad that, that it was. Like just how much of a, hey, I can just go sign anybody and uh, go out there and win. Now, he's a good enough coach to where he could just get, you know, go sign anybody or whatever and probably win five games in the ACC at Virginia Tech. But, you know, the team he inherited from Frank Beamer – uh, was his best team back in 2016. You remember they went to the ACC championship game. They were a touchdown away from beating Clemson in that game. Um, and then it just never, ever took off. And I was surprised they didn't fire him last year. He, he wasn't a guy that, you know, folks around Blacksburg, which is a very small place, you know, embraced so much. Uh, fans didn't like him. He was abrasive. Uh, and yeah, there could be some guy following the guy there, but you know, on paper, Justin Fuente should have worked out because he was a quote unquote fit. So this is this is yet another one that at the time, and Mike and I had this podcast at the time, but we were like, yeah, it's a, it's a great hire, and and it looked right for a little while, but then it eroded. And you know, Mike said earlier, if somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And I think Fuente, we all kind of thought, oh, yeah, sure, you don't like to recruit. And you think, well, he's just an evaluator. and He'll go find guys anyway that he likes. Uh, no, no, he, he wasn't even doing that. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was just like, hey, man, you want to play at Virginia Tech? Come on, man. We'll win five games. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and you can't today, today's age, fans want to see you go at least try, especially in that state. People, people may not know this about Virginia Tech because you hear Tech and you think, well, 
it's like Georgia Tech and engineering school or whatever. It's like other techs, Texas Tech around the country. Virginia Tech is basically the state university of Virginia. Uh, UVA is a public Ivy, Thomas freaking Jefferson, all that, wahoo mm-hmm. wah. That's a different animal than a big, large state-supported university in the South. It's, it's Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University is the official name. So, so all like your – you know, your average Joe kids that, you know, get into just state you and go to college, they all go to Virginia Tech. That's that's what it is. And um, so that is a massive fan base and a massive alumni base and uh, a lot of pride. And it's in a football-heavy state, and they've been great at football before. So they, they expect you to at least go try. You know, Virginia Tech has its challenges because of its location in southwest Virginia – whereas the talent bases in that state are way over on the coast in the 757 or up in Nova uh, outside of D.C. And it's hard to get every one of those kids because you're isolated a little bit, right? You're not in Richmond. You're way over there in the southwestern portion of the state in the mountains. But Frank Beamer got his share and then found guys. Fuente wasn't even willing to go get his share, so I know all the Hokies are glad he's gone. Going to be interesting to see. Uh, who replaces him this morning. I heard a very interesting name, Dave Clawson from Wake Forest, from one of my hokey sources. And, uh, you know, Billy Napier's in it. You hear Chadwell, all that. But, you know, Clawson is kind of the the name du jour to keep an eye on when you're talking about who the next coach of the Hokies is. And I, and I think, guys, it's a fantastic job. I, I, I think there's just a lot you can do at Virginia Tech if you understand where you're at and know what you are doing. Well, heck, if you get it even close to where Frank had it um, for much of his time, you could dominate the Coastal Division, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even if you go and get spanked in Charlotte every year, you could, you could rack up a bunch of uh, divisional title banners in Blacksburg. Look, speaking of Frank, I mean, Frank Beamer was not only successful, he's one of the most likable, affable, classy guys out there. So to follow that up with a frosty, uh, antisocial, somewhat abrasive guy, that's okay if you're winning. And when he goes in there in year one and wins the Coastal, that's okay. From that point on, I think he only had one season where he won more than six games. So, like, they don't expect Virginia Tech. That fan base is pretty educated on who they are. Like, they don't expect Virginia Tech to win the ACC every year. So, you don't have to be number one in the ACC, but you can't be number seven or nine. Uh, you, you should be top five in that conference on a pretty consistent basis, and he just didn't do that. And then he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Oh, by the way, lose to Old Dominion. I'm not sure if they ever recovered from that. And then this year, they they had Notre Dame on the ropes. And to quote the late, great uh, Dennis Green, we let them off the hook. They let them off. They blew a 29-21 lead with 3.55 to play and wound up losing, uh, I believe, 32-29 was the final in that score. And they just never never recovered from that. Look, I, you and I used to do a segment, JC, hits and misses. And believe it or not, I, I enjoyed talking about where I was wrong more than where I was right because I think that's more interesting people going on the air and talking about how right they were is about as fun as uh, a scratch golfer talking about how, what a great round he had <sighs> wake me up when that's over breaking down the hole by hole. Well then on 12, I decided to break out the seven iron. Um, the, the fact of the matter is I thought Fuente 
was about as close to a home run hire as there was at that time. And I would have bet that he would have worked out quite well in Blacksburg. He didn't. And it goes more to what I do believe and what I always say, that there's so much attention on ADs and, and you know, what the hiring process is at the end of the day, it's all a crapshoot. And at the end of the day, you get who, who wants your job. Like you, you don't sit there and schmooze them into taking your job over one that they really think is a better gig. So when you look at these candidates, it's a lot of mid-major guys, the same names we seem to be talking about every year, Jamie Chadwell, Billy Napier, Sonny Dykes, uh, then you throw in the Brent Venables as a, as a guy that's going to be mentioned. I don't think he leaves now for that. Uh, Mike Elko is going to be a head coach somewhere. Someone's going to pluck him out of Texas A&M. I just don't know who. Um, Will Healy out of Charlotte. You know, th- those are the same. And then, of course, you mentioned Clawson. And I, and I love Clawson having, having done a couple of weight games the last couple of years. I just think he's in such a perfect fit for him for him uh maybe they just offered too much money and maybe Clawson says you know what as much pride as I take in being a developmental program and being a classic overachiever and a lot of athletes in Tidewater that I could do some magical things with maybe so but um I whoever does get that job to go back to Haney's initial point you're no longer the guy following the legend you're the guy following the guy who just failed so that's a little less pressure on that next guy. That makes the job perhaps even a little more attractive. And uh, I wish Vodtech well because I think college football is one of those programs. College football is better when Virginia Tech is good. And, and lately they've been kind of in the abyss. All right, gentlemen. Well, to that end, uh, there is another school that we talked about last time in TCU that parted ways with their legend at Gary Patterson. So tying those two jobs together now, TCU and Virginia Tech, what do you think, if anything, that TCU, if they choose to, can learn from what Virginia Tech just went through for their own coaching search coming up to replace the legend in Gary Patterson? Go ahead. You take that one first, JC. You know, I, there are a lot of, a lot of sunny – and this is one, too. You know, the more – I go like, there's no question things were not trending well for Gary Patterson at TCU. Okay. We, we all love Gary Patterson. We all respect him. I, I mean, I've probably spent more time talking about Gary Patterson on this podcast through all 150 episodes than any other coach. <laughs> uh, and, and there's no question about it, but you look at kind of the last few years and, and you see that, you know, in the preseason, everybody, well, look out for TCU. They're going to be good. And, they're going to, and then it, it's like a seven and six, or it's a five and seven, or it's something like that. And they get off to three and five. There's some brutal losses for them this year, especially to Texas. And, and so it may have been time, you know, once you're someplace for a long, long time and, and it gets a little stale and you're about on your third or fourth year of not meeting the expectations that you've created, you know, maybe it's time. I don't like the way it was handled. Um, I, I don't like the whole thing. Well, we can go ahead and announce this and have a Gary Patterson day, or you can just leave. Uh, and, you know, looking kind of at the AD, he's one of these guys that uh, I look at that's an athletic director, and I'm like, be careful what you wish for. 
when you want to change ADs, <laughs> uh, kind of a new guy that's got his own opinions. And, and so then I look and I'm like, well, you know, I hear they want to hire Sonny Dykes and he's right across town at SMU. And that's really what did it. They, they don't like losing to SMU at TCU. And then they did. And, uh, okay, we'll go hire Sonny. Well, then no, 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 no. There's all these people they're going to interview. They're going to interview Deion Sanders and all these other people. And I'm like, <laughs> look, it, 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 you know, and, and then I hear from my SMU contacts that Dykes probably ain't going to take that TCU job if he has to be part of a big dog and pony show interview process, because again, SMU is right across town and it's their rival. And, and you just don't, obviously TCU being in the big 12 is a better fit, so to speak, you know, uh, than being at SMU and SMU didn't get the invite to the table, but uh, you know, you, you just really don't want to, you know, tinkle all over the Mustangs and, and do it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I've got a lot of questions about that process. And I, and I think, I think I told my Virginia tech guy today, they said, well, who do you think the Hokie should hire? I said, I'd hire Gary Patterson. You know, he's 61 years old. Uh, you're like, well, he's not going to be here in nine years. Well, we'll do nine years. If you get nine years out of any coach these days, you're, you're doing something right. So, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, as far as who gets that job, you know, the the Dykes name was out there for a while. I thought it would just kind of be a layup, but uh, who knows who's getting it now? I mean, I, I uh, when I think of TCU football, I think of Gary Patterson, you know, and Dennis Francione before him did some good things. And then before that it was like Pat Sullivan and a lot of guys. I mean, they were terrible uh, at TCU. So I, I hope that this decision that they made – uh, you know, my concern is, does it work out for Gary Patterson? First and foremost, I hope he gets another job, uh, soon. Uh, but the, also the other thing is this, it's like, uh, for TCU, I, I kind of expect them to take a big step back. I, I, you know, they, I think in a couple of years, just like when Texas tech thought they were going to be great, you know, get rid of Mike Leach. Uh, and we see how that's worked out for them. Um, you know, you you, you kind of look at it, and you know, I, I, I in my gut, I, I kind of feel the same way for TCU. I think that, you know, their heyday, uh, we're probably going to be sitting there, guys, ten years from now, going, "Hey, remember when they were good under Gary Patterson?" <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've got money and all that, and and that's scary to me too, guys, because you get somebody in there that that could win if you gave him a chance, and you keep you fire him after three years, and then you're getting kind of the Tennessee vicious circle and stuff. I mean, because they do have the money to go do it. And and so that, that's another concern about that program as well. I, I just, uh, something about that just doesn't sit well with me, even though I'm a big Gary Patterson Homer to begin with. I mean, something about it just kind of just the, the feel I get is, is not good. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Um, honest to God, you know, if I am TCU, I'm probably uh, heading up to Chicago and uh, interviewing one Thomas Herman to come try to take that job because that's the type of guy that, you know, you kind of get on the rebound. Uh, I think he fits at a place like TCU. I think he's got energy and and redemption and all that going for him. Uh, But, you know, it looks like they want to kind of make the – it looks like right now at TCU it's more about the AD than it is about anybody else. And, we all know that when arrogance meets ignorance, it can be dangerous. I tell you, the um, 
having done games there right around the time they expanded Eamon Carter Stadium, we took a tour. They put $113 million into that stadium. They have what's called the Founders Suites. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to get a Founders Suite, the price tag was $15 million, and people bought them. I think there's four of them or six of them that each had to pay $15 million. That's a lifetime suite. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of, it's beautiful seats, great buffet. It's $15 million. So to your point on the money, they do have incredible resources there, like all those Texas schools do. I think part of what really burns the TCU brass up is they see Baylor bouncing back yet mm. again. Yeah. And they, you know, they kind of look at those schools and similar lights and, uh, you know, mm. religious schools and, and, they say, well, gosh, Baylor was dead and buried. And, and in the meantime, we watch them resurrect where they're a power again under Coach Aranda, and we're just sitting there swimming in mediocrity. The other thing that's going on is that with the eventual departure, which I believe will be in 2023, of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC, with that in mind, uh, the, the, I mean, the, it's, it's there for the taking. Like somebody, one of these schools can become the preeminent Big 12 power that Oklahoma has been, that Texas once was. It's, it's anybody's get ball game. You can be that. You can, TCU can be that. Anybody can be that. So this hire is a big one for them. I think Tom Herman is an interesting name. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of people that would be intrigued by this job, but but I don't know how you do better overall than what Gary Patterson did. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm reading like Napier and Matt Campbell and why is Matt Campbell going to take that? Matt job? Campbell's not taking that job. No. Matt Campbell. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something about Matt Campbell and you guys correct me. If you think I'm, I think Southern Cal could be a job he takes. I'm just going to say that based on what I've heard, but not surprised, uh, but me. they're like totally, they're totally dysfunctional out there. I think, you know, I, I think they, I don't, you know, I could see them screwing that up, but barring something like that or like a Michigan for Matt Campbell or Ohio state, whatever I can't, he's, I think he's fine where he's at. And you mentioned the big 12 changing Mike. I mean, Iowa state has been, you know, they, they probably weren't as good this year as we thought they'd be. But, man, they're sitting pretty. I mean, you know, who do you have to beat now? Oklahoma and Texas are gone uh, in that league. So, Iowa State's actually a better job now that Oklahoma and Texas are gone out of that league than it was. So, um, but, yeah, you, you read names like that and you read Sonny Dykes and you know kind of the story there. And it's like – it sounds to me like some folks are kind of – maybe have a higher opinion of what that job actually is uh, than it was, but Hey, money talks. And like you said, they can easily write a check for whatever they want. Well, you mentioned a lot of names there, JC, that have been regurgitated around the coaching carousel the last couple of years. Some people that are ready to take that next jump and, and some that are just going to be batted about for, for a lot uh, until they finally get their opportunity. Um, but some interesting hires, uh, I guess, to, to say the least. We talked about Texas Tech the last time uh, on the show. They've now filled their void with a longtime high school coach and uh, Baylor assistant now for the last five years, Joey McGuire, and also Jim Mora Jr. trying to revitalize his coaching career at UConn. So, gentlemen, your your thoughts on 
the Texas Tech and in UConn voids being filled right now with uh, you know Texas Tech taking a swing on on a longtime high school coach and uh, and Jim Moore Jr. trying to you know do the right thing and, and get his name back in the good graces. Um. Okay, I'll start with Mora. Uh, I mean, I thought the guy did some good things with the Falcons, and then we there was a, a disaster of a season with the Seahawks, and and where he openly campaigned to get the University of Washington. He's, he's never gotten the Washington job, and you have to wonder too. Uh, because Washington didn't come open until after he had taken the UConn job. Maybe he didn't want to campaign a little bit for that one because he's a Husky through and through. I thought Mora did an okay job at uh, at UCLA, recruiting-wise especially. He had a good staff. They, they, I mean, recruiting at UCLA is never really an issue, um, although Chip Kelly numerically doesn't recruit that well, but that's a different point. Um, beat BSC on players, top 10 classes. He just didn't win enough. I mean, and it's not like, you know, it, it kind of bottomed out. He was nine and five, 10 and three, 10 and three, eight and five. Then you got a four and eight that snuck in there and then a five and six and you're out. Um, Seattle's a tough job, was a tough job when he took it over. Uh, Atlanta, the Falcons, that's all obviously Mike and I both know that that's a tough job. Uh, Nothing compares to UConn. Uh, this is not only a job that is, 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 is the bottom has fallen out, but they have like structural issues there where like, I mean, I, I don't think they joined a conference. Did they guys, did they join conference USA? No, they no didn't. I don't think so. I think they're still went independent. I'm still waiting for conference USA to wave the white flag already, but, but yeah. it's, it's kind of like, when you're playing chess and your opponent's got the queen, the bishop, the rook, and you're sitting there with three pawns and you just keep moving your king around until you finally <laughs> say, okay, enough is enough. But you, but, but Conference USA is still breathing, baby. Look, man, and I'll say this. Listen, people talk about basketball schools a lot, right? Hey, you know, this, this school is a basketball school. You know, normally they talk about who? Kansas. By the way, shout out to the Jayhawks for beating Texas this past weekend. Um Kansas, North Carolina, UCLA, Indiana, places like that. And, and look, a lot of Kentucky, obviously, some of that's a myth because Kentucky and North Carolina, they have support for football. UCLA has support for football. Kansas, when it's when they had Mangino, they got support for football. Indiana last year, uh, they're just not good at football. That that that's a, and, and there are reasons those programs have not been that's successful for one reason or another. Okay. With Kansas and Kentucky and Indiana, it's, it's recruiting base, but there's a difference between being one of those schools that's good in basketball, therefore a basketball school and a, and UConn, which said we are going to sacrifice football for the sake of basketball. I mean, that's different. That's a definitely a basketball school folks, men and women, because they got out of the American so their basketball program could join the Big East again because in, in not in women's basketball, but men, men's basketball, you know, it was getting a little challenging to go play at South Florida or play wherever when they belonged in a league where, where they got to play Georgetown and Villanova and, and those kind of schools. And they actually made that move. <laughs> so it's the ultimate basketball school that you're going to coach football at. And so, man – 
you know, look, I, maybe this is like Terry Bowden taking the Louisiana Monroe job or Akron or the jobs he's taken and, you know, Moore just wants a chance. But as hard as UCLA is, as hard as the Falcons are, as difficult as that one year in Seattle was, guys, this is a – this is a – just a different level of challenge. And so I uh, thought it was an interesting hire. I'm sure he had a plan. And I don't think if he goes and wins two games in, in four years there and gets fired, that that's really even indicative of what kind of coach he is. Cause I don't think he's that bad of a coach, but man, oh man, that is, that is definitely a tough gig to go take uh, up there at Connecticut uh, at this point with that program. Yeah, I'll keep it real quick on both these guys. I, to me, and I'm with you, JC. I, I, don't, I don't think Jim Mora has done a terrible job anywhere he's been. Uh, but the fact that he fell to this job tells me if, if I'm Jim Mora's agent, I kicked the tires on a lot of other openings, and there was just no traction. And so now you have to take one of these. This is like the Lane Kiffin FAU deal. This is like. You know, you mentioned Terry Bowden, although, you know, he's more perhaps on the tail end of his career. But sometimes you just got to suck it up and take something that is kind of beneath you, if you will. And this job, in a lot of ways, I think is beneath Jim Mora. Um, I'm not saying Jim Mora is, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, but I would have thought he could have landed in a better spot than this because this is beyond the abyss. I mean, this is... You know, you're out there in the middle of the Atlantic uh, in a submarine and in, 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 in the darkness, you know, and you're you're trying to find yourself like a goldfish or something <laughs> in the middle of coral and all kinds of crap. And you're like, where's that goldfish at? Um, I don't I don't know. How, I don't know what to make of this at all. I mean, I thought UConn was going to bail on football or at least go to one double A. I, I don't know what they gain i i want to say it's financial but is it really how much money are they gaining by staying fbs maybe they ought to just go back to fcs like the good old skip holtz days and be a regular contributor in the fcs playoff and whatnot anyway i don't want to be you mass same way i think i mean well yeah you mass would be they actually were gaining traction and going to playoffs in one way and then it just I bet you. Happen. I bet you. If you polled a thousand college football fans, most of them wouldn't even know UMass was FBS. They probably would like, say, "What? Huh? That, that that can't be and true." And scheduling for UMass has just been a nightmare. That's brutal. Uh, it's, it's, so. Yeah, it's just not. Look, mo- making that move is not for everybody. For the App States of the world, uh, it's a great move. For the UCFs of the world, it's a great move. For for UConn and UMass. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, the other one you could probably speak more to because it clearly was a recruiting hire, right? I mean, when you when you hired Joey McGuire, uh, that was a great movie, by the way. You remember the, the little kid? <laughs> how, how much does a human bring? Oh, that was Jerry Maguire. I'm sorry. Uh, but Joey McGuire, uh, even though I must admit I know nothing about Joey McGuire, he might as well have been Jerry McGuire or the, the goofy little kid in that movie who I think became a roid head. Um, that's beside the point. I, I, I don't know much about this hire other than he's a Texas guy who's got Texas connections and he's going to hire Texas people. He's going to recruit Texas kids. And that's how Texas tech is going to be, uh, better than Matt Wells, who didn't do a terrible job to begin with. So I, I, I don't really, I don't really, I have a lukewarm feeling on that hire in general. 
I know I know Joey McGuire a little bit. We have some mutual friends from his days as a high school coach in Texas. And a lot of my folks that worked Texas uh, that I have respect for love Joey McGuire. They think he's an outstanding coach. Cuba Gooding Jr. loves Joey McGuire. Again, yeah, sorry, yeah. wrong one. Please. My bad. <laughs> Show me the money, right? <laughs> You complete me. Anyway, uh, show let's, me the quad. Let's, let's just throw it all out there. All right. I, the, the zoo's closed, Ray. You know, uh, let's just get it all out there in the uh, end. All the right, human head weighs eight pounds. <laughs> I did not shoplift the. Never mind. <laughs> um, but you guys know me, and I did actually. Anyway, but back to the anyway, point. You know? Yes, yes. Uh, all right. So let's. Uh, it's weird because most of these high school coaches from Texas that have gotten jobs, guys, uh, big you know, a job like Texas Tech are like offensive, like prodigy types. You know, you think back through it: the Chad Morris's, the Art Briles, the you know those guys, um, Seth Latrell. I think. I mean, there's just a there's a long list of high school coaches from Texas that have. Come to major college football, been OCs, and, and and some of them have been head coaches. This is different. This guy's an outside linebackers coach. And he, if you want to talk about the Dabo Sweeney model, that's what this is. This is a guy that's going to have to hire great coordinators and go recruit. The problem is some of these places, and, 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 and to a lesser extent, this is Virginia Tech's issue, too, a little bit. Uh, but I, I, I talked about that scenario earlier. Texas Tech is in Lubbock. Now, let me repeat that. Texas Tech is in Lubbock, Texas, right? That is very hard to recruit to. Um, you know, they had kind of their little their thing going with Leach and then you know, the Tuberville thing didn't work out. And so then you go and you, you get Kingsbury, who actually is winning now in the NFL for whatever reason. Uh, but there's no defense. And, you know, it wasn't that they wouldn't hire good D coordinators or coaches. It's just that you look at their personnel on defense compared to offense, and you're like, it's not only hard to recruit to Lubbock, it's almost impossible to get good defensive players out here, you know. And so I understand there is fundamentally a recruiting problem. That said, I think to to raise the level of recruiting at Texas Tech the way a fan base would expect it right now or when you hire a Joey McGuire and you're starting to think we're going to go head-to-head with the Longhorns and Aggies and start getting these guys, that's not going to happen ever because, it you know, you even look at how that school has had success in other sports, Mike, you know, Chris Beard, who's now at Texas, one of the best basketball coaches, I think, in America. How did he get Texas Tech to the national championship game? Well, he took seven transfers, and he molded them together, and they ended up winning uh, and going all the way to the finals. So I I think there's different ways that you can acquire talent in different sports at different schools. I don't know that going the recruiter route like they're doing – uh, is the answer. That said, uh, th- there's nobody that's going to be pulling for Joey McGuire to win more than I am because I think it's a heck of a story. Like I said, we have mutual friends. I've met him a couple of times. He is a hell of a dude, like a hell of a dude. Um, and, and it would be great 
uh, if he would win there. But that that hire really, really surprised me, uh, you know, when all was said and done. And, and I think, too, Texas Tech's going through a little bit of Baylor envy as well, which is why they plucked the guy away. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, that's the deal there, and uh, we'll see how it works. But it was a surprising hire to me. Uh, I think that, you know, it is a recruiting-based hire, but guys – I'm telling you that there's some places where you're you're just I don't care who you get to sell ketchup popsicles to a lady in white gloves. You have to understand you're not going to go head to head and beat uh, these powerhouses on on just about anybody, right? So then the question becomes, well, how do we get enough talent to compete? Well, there's ways you do that. But it's not the way that everybody thinks, and so that 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 would be what the concern would be of mine is: are right, we got this guy that's that, that personality wise, he can go head to head and win recruiting battles, but we're still in Lubbock and we're still the Red Raiders, and you know, here's what we are. So so we'll see what happens. But that that's my take on that. Two pieces of advice for Joey McGuire. Uh, you know, don't lose the same recruiting battles apparently that Matt Wells did, and uh, and don't lose Cush as a client the day before the draft, the number one pick, because that that killed oh who killed him. Jay Moore, by the way, played a really good creep in that movie, right, Heck Michael? Yeah. yeah, came here to let you go. <laughs> Hey, and, it's uh, real, man. It's happening. You're gone. How about Glenn Fry as the GM? Glenn of Fry. Yes. And how about a little, little music uh, sports movie tie-in right there. With the yes. Glenn the, the late Glenn Fry. May he rest late. in peace. Yes, absolutely. Uh, gentlemen, I, I did have one headline um, that I was go- going to get to, but I, it's more of an existential thing about college football that we can save for another episode. I have to get to this developing story, though, because I would be remiss if we saved this for uh for a, another little while breaking but, news uh, yeah a little bit of, well i call it developing story mike we got okay it. not breaking not, news not breaking just yet it's developing but uh i believe that it will be breaking uh very soon a team that we spent some time discussing at the top of the episode michigan state according to the detroit free press working on a historic 10-year 95 million dollar contract extension for one mel tucker <laughs> Gentlemen, um, you're, uh, take, take that in for a second. I'll, I'll read just a little bit more uh, about this. Alumni Matt Ishbia and Steve St. Andre will donate the private funding to the school for Tucker's raise, according to um, a local po- inside the locker room podcast, um, a former uh, MSU Board of Trustees member and uh, Michigan State radio analyst Jason Seahorn, uh, university sources confirmed to Ishbia or confirmed that Ishbia and St. Andre as the donors for the new contract. Um, guys, Mel Tucker is uh, set to get paid here, but he hasn't even coached a bowl game yet as a head coach, I, I don't believe. So this is some incredible money wow. on the way for. Yeah. Him. Look, I already praised him in our opening block saying he's a, he's a prime candidate for national coach of the year. He's done a tremendous job. Now let me temper that a little bit. Uh, he hadn't done a ton yet. Okay. I mean, it's one good year and to start making him one of, if not the highest paid coach in college football seems a little bit insane, but Hey, it's not my money. Go for what you know. I mean, I get it. It's kind of a defensive move because certainly there are going to be some guys that uh, teams that perhaps kick on the, kick the tires to see if, if they can pluck them away. 
Uh, I don't know if he's ahead on everybody's board of James Franklin or some of the other names, Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher's not leaving. We can talk about that later. Um, but, but do you, do you really have to pay nine and a half million dollars to keep Mel Tucker? I don't know. But if nothing else, if you're a Michigan state fan, it shows there's a commitment to something over there because you don't have to pay that kind of money. If you're going to go ahead and pay it, that makes you feel good about that. Um, yeah, there you go. I, I wouldn't have done it. I, I wouldn't have spent nine and a half million. Like, who are you bidding against? Would be my question. I mean, you know, his name had been banted, you know, talked about for LSU, and a lot of people were pushing that uh, in the national media because mm. uh, he used to be an assistant there. But look, man, I, I, you know, that would have been what his third job in three years. I mean, maybe he'd be like Todd Graham and finally get somewhere and settle in. But, uh, they were, it was put being pushed, but I, I still maintain that when you look at Scott Woodward's hiring track record, he, he's not a guy that goes for the, you know, the latest big name that the one year wonder kind of deal. Right. Um, no, he goes for the, he, he goes, goes for, for the guys good. that have had years of track record, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I just, uh, so I never bought it. And, and that's nothing against Mel Tucker or Billy Napier or either one. I just I, I figured he would shoot for the moon for some other guys. And I still think there's a good shot that LSU ends up with somebody that we're all sitting there going, wow. You know, <laughs> nobody. You know, my that. you know, my theory on LSU. I don't, I don't know. I don't have much more to add on Mel Tucker. Uh, my theory on LSU is because uh, there's still people. I know them. I know LSU fans that swear up and down. Uh, Scott Woodward gets whoever he wants. So they want Jimbo Fisher and they're going to get him. The, Jimbo's just a uh, smoke screen, smoke screen, smoke screen. Mm. He's leaving. Folks, he's not leaving. He's not leaving. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a knock on your job. It's not a knock on LSU. They just made him an incredibly lucrative contract. He owns all this property in Texas. And he didn't replace three consecutive coaches that won a national title. So Ian, I don't think he's leaving. And and then the then the one becomes, well, we can always get Lane Kiffin whenever we want. I told you, JC, I had this debate with uh Andy Staples on Sirius XM. I'm not so sure of that either. I'm pro- I know I'm in the minority on that one. Uh I, I'm not positive that that Lane is ready to just that he's so anxious to jump there when he's got when he's got it pretty good at Ole Miss. So you you might not get exactly who you want at LSU. You, you just might not. It's a fantastic job, but I, I, I the names that are coming out there, it's it's just under the assumption of we can get whoever the heck we want, and anybody will leave where they are to go here. And that mentality has been tried by a lot of other programs in recent years, and, yeah. and doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, and th- this is this is kind of your. Uh... Your theory being put to the test, Mike, uh, with that at least resistance. You know, you do have you do have an AD there that's got a. I mean, nobody said Chris Peterson. People said Peterson will never leave Boise. And he left Scott Woodward. Uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher, and and look, man, there were some things about Fisher and Florida State. That was a that was a it divorce was contentious that was coming right. Yes. Correct. Um, 
but it was A&M and not, you know, we, we had always heard Auburn, Alabama, LSU. Those were Jimbo's jobs he wanted. You know, he's an Alabama guy or was in coast at Auburn or whatever. On A&M. So there we go. Um, Buzz Williams, I think from the time he got to Virginia Tech, they were like, well, if Texas or Texas a and will hire him, he's gone. I mean, that was true. You know, but then you get to LSU and he hires Kim Mulkey, which if you follow women's basketball, that's like a huge earth-shattering type of hire in that sport. There's only about a hand, there's only a handful of women's basketball coaches that you'd even want to go, you know, pluck. That would have been like Pat Summit leaving Tennessee at her in her prime, um, which is amazing. And and then he made a pretty good hire in baseball at LSU. I and, and that's the one thing if you're kind of looking at this, going, well, he's not going to necessarily get who he wants this time. Uh, LSU baseball, Mike, you know it, great job, tremendous, right? One of the best in the country. Absolutely. You know, and he got a guy that's been to the College World Series from a good job at Arizona to come take it. But there were a lot of other names being thrown out for the baseball job there, and it didn't happen. So maybe maybe this is the same kind of thing. I, I, I honestly think, though, no matter who gets LSU, unless he just completely screws it up, they really have enough options uh, from – coaches that will crawl on their belly through glass to get it uh, to where it's going to be really hard to make a hire that's uh, like their last two, which I would call underwhelming at the time, although they have produced national championships eventually. Well, I find it interesting with the Mel Tucker news coming about that he would move past Edward Ron, who is now not going to be at LSU anymore. He was making over $9 million, and uh, Tucker's uh, potential new contract now would be second only to Nick Saban. So how much does that reset to the actual coaching uh, contract and money? Because if, if Mel Tucker, who hasn't won, even played in a, or coached in a bowl game yet, <laughs> is getting $9.5 million, what is LSU going to have to offer someone uh, yeah. to come in? Uh, that, that's, the, that's the big thing for me is how much does this reset the, the coaching salary market much the way that Nick Saban did you know, over a decade ago at Alabama. There, there's no question it goes up and, and we're not far off from it, it's no longer going to be shocking when you hear $10 million a year football mm-hmm. coach. That, that, that is where we're headed. And I always say, if you want to know the market value, uh, uh, where the market is heading on the coaches circle in college football, college basketball, just, just keep an eye on the TV contracts. And you, you got a couple of big ones coming up here soon. Um, and of course, the SEC already got you know, G'd up when ESPN outbid CBS for their game of the week. But you've got some other uh, conference deals that are going to be massive here coming up in the near future. And, and that's where this comes from. It's not that they just raised ticket prices, you know, $10 a pop. It's TV money. TV money drives coaches' salaries. And that's where uh, the market will continue to escalate. Yeah, and I'll say this. You know, we mentioned earlier about coaches getting fired earlier. That continues to happen. You're going to end up having to pay more, you know, because – and look, I'll be honest. There used to be a time where I was so pro-coach, I'd be like, oh, so feels bad for this guy getting fired. Man, what about his family and all this other stuff? And then I sort of realizing something, Mike, you know, the money they're making these coaches for walking away and for being, for losing, which is 
what mean you I mean you're doing a bad job if you're losing losing uh is is a generational wealth i mean their grandkids aren't gonna have to work so i quit feeling sorry for coaches a couple of years ago head coaches oh. that get fired um did you but, see the article i'm sorry to interrupt you did you no. see the article to your point on what they call dead money right buyouts yeah a lot uh, of dead money SEC. on espn it, it, the the from 2010 through the 10 year period, 2010 to January, 2021, basically a 10 year period. FBS schools paid football and men's and women's basketball coaches more than $533 million not to coach dead money. You're just, you're just paying them not to coach over a half a billion dollars. And people always say, well, we shouldn't do that. Uh, we, we th- that's just stupid. Our AD shouldn't offer buyouts. Well, then the coach is going to go somewhere else. This this is the mark. Like they have the leverage. If you are a hot coach, you're not going to go to the school that doesn't give you a buyout if they fire you. And if you're a really hot coach like Jimbo Fisher, I mean, this is insane. Jimbo Fisher has the most unique contract on the planet. Yeah. Because not only does he have a buyout if they if they fired him, and they're certainly not going to do that anytime soon. But if Jimbo leaves, most coaches, the university says, okay, fine, we'll protect you. If we fire you, we got to pay you $12 million, $15 million, $20, $25 million. But if you leave us for another job, then we get $12 million, $15, we get a buyout. Jimbo has no buyout. Mm-mm. No, yeah, he, he can go to my – I think that's another reason the LSU thing hasn't necessarily died. Is, is Right, is that, I get it. You know, I, get like, it. Yeah, I can walk away at any time, but yeah, – uh, Not happening. Shoot, I mean, that's – and that, that was that was an insane contract. And, and, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, Jimbo, you can kind of read the writing on the wall. He was going to leave Florida State at some point for some job. And it took that kind of deal to get him to A and M. I mean, that's that's uh, A and M has all those. Re- I mean, I just you know that's uh, you know. And, and he beat and, Alabama. And he beat Alabama. Like you, he he is set. Yeah, I know he's not going to the Atlanta for the championship game. But you beat Alabama already. Like that, he is. He can run for mayor. He. he in some parts of Texas, he could run for governor. Like it's, it's just a nice, comfortable situation. I don't know why he would walk away from that. LSU is a fantastic job. I just don't think right now it's the job that he would leave A&M for. All right. We keep going, circling back to that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Michael, what else you have? That's it. That's, it. That's all five. The Haney Man. hot five has been completed. Heck Man. The, the, the Mel Tucker storyline took our, our last headline. That was okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, oh, well. break, breaking news. He's, he's coming up with hot fives. He's going on rock boats. I All mean, the stuff. He just, just knocking out one thing after the other. Uh, Michael, you have anything, anything you're looking forward to this week? This is not a great slate of games, by the way. Uh, just looking at it, like even the games that look good on paper, if you look at the point spreads, not that that tells you everything, but, there's some pretty lopsided, even on the marquee games, they're pretty lopsided games. Like even Michigan State, Ohio State, if you look, I think it's like an 18-point spread. 
Ohio State is just rolling right now. Um, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, that looked like a great game, you know, in September. I don't know about now. So I don't know. Either one of you guys, are you jacked up about any game on the slate this Saturday? I'm jacked up about uh, Wake Forest and Clemson. Yeah, that's intriguing. Now, now listen, that's at Death Valley. Mm-hmm. One of the things that doesn't get talked about because Dabo's been winning national championships and stuff, and this seems like a long time ago, is that the, one of the first things he did was turn that Wake Forest series, right? You remember Tommy Bowden? Remember Tommy Bowden losing to Wake Forest like three oh, yeah. or four times? Riley Skinner, baby. Remember him getting fired? You know, Dabo, I don't, I, honestly, I don't think Dabo's ever lost to Wake Forest. I think they lost to Wake Forest when he took over that year as an interim, but Tommy was still coaching. So he hadn't lost to the Demon Deacons. There have been some games where Wake's played them well, but uh, for the most part, that's the he's turned that daggum thing completely around. But this year, yeah. Wake is the favorite. And, and and Clemson is depleted with injuries and all that. And they've had like what three narrow narrow uh, victories, some some really close scares. Very close. Clemson, UC, Can't school Louisville. But- I mean, it's they're they're they've been living on the edge to have that seven and three record this year for as talented as they are with all the injuries. But their defense is still good, really good. So they match up strength on strength with Wake. I don't know how great Wake's defense is. So the Tigers' offense with whatever they've got, has a chance to get going. Like I said, it's at home. Uh, it doesn't impact, I don't think, the standings. I don't think – well, if Wake loses to Clemson, no, I think – yeah, okay, so Wake loses to Clemson and then Boston College the next week. Clemson could still win the division. Uh, it's going to take a lot for that to happen. But, um, you know, I'm fired up for that game just because of, of the matchups and – and to see if maybe we see something that, um, you know, because people can say what they want. Wake Forest going into Clemson and winning is going to – we talked about the committee and could Wake make it or whatever. That's going to that's gonna still mean a lot to a, a potential committee. I'll tell you one thing, too. Sam Hartman's one of the most underrated players in college football. Kid out of Charlotte. He's a really good quarterback. He's also got two good wide receivers, things you wouldn't ex- – like Wake's actually putting guys in the NFL the last few years. And by the way, the guy that's the, the star of Michigan State this year was was the starting running back for Wake Forest last year. He transferred. Clawson's uh, actually like he's finding those diamonds in the rough. And when you talk to him about it, they they just they go through that that landscape and they let all the five stars get plucked up by your perennial powers. But and then they find that three star kid that has some type of knock on him, and and they get him. And that's how they're winning games over there. You know, like they don't, they don't, when I say developmental program, like they don't have the 19 year old five star freshman that just takes the world by storm. Mm-mm. They have the red shirt sophomore who was too small coming out of high school that then blossoms into a really good player. That's been their, their MO and it's uh, worked pretty well for them. By the way, I'll just say one other thing on uh, spreads. They already have the Ohio State-Michigan lineup. You guys want to take a guess at what it will be? That's, of course, the following week, high noon, Ohio State at Michigan in Ann Arbor. Haney, you want to take a shot at that one? If you were a uh, if you were uh, setting the line at the Michael Haney Casino 
Well, I'll, I'll be I'll be blunt, gentlemen. I, I haven't had a chance to watch much uh, of either one, but knowing that they're two top seven teams, um, and it's in the big house, uh, I would I would probably put it somewhere around I don't know six and a half Ohio State six, six and a half Ohio State JC. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm go with Ohio State minus eight. You guys are both very close. Michael Haney wins the prize. Right now, you can get the Buckeyes minus six. Oh, wow. Minus mm. six right now. See, I shoot, that's going to be – see, I, I think <laughs> Ohio State's going to go up there and cut them again. I mean, I, I think it's not going to even – I think it's going to be an 18-point game. Uh, that said, you know, guys, I, uh, Penn State was getting like 19 in Columbus a couple weeks ago, and I was like, that's too many points. And what Ohio State won by three or something like that. So, so maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe I'm just basing that on previous got, years, right? Got, you know, none of us have any dog in this fight, right? Like, none of us have. I've never pulled for or against Ohio State or Michigan, but just for the rivalry, I'm all in on Michigan. Like, yeah. I, I want to see. Gotta Kevin. have them win, and they had won in so long. That just it'd be good for college. I keep saying that I know, and I'm sure somewhere right now there's an Ohio State fan. Ain't good for us. Uh, it'd be Never good. listen to this podcast again. <laughs> yeah, screw you, Morgan. Oh, uh, I always knew you were a Michigan homer. Um, I love the way I just gave an Ohio State fan a, a thick southern accent, but I. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them do come down to uh, Myrtle Beach during the summer, so they can pick it up. That's true. Like, parts that's true. of parts of Southern Ohio sound like uh, you know Kentucky or something like go. that. Parts I just of always, Southern, you know. When I when I when I want to really convey an angry fan, it just comes it comes out better with a Southern accent. It just does. Um, but I think it'd be great for college football if Michigan wins this game and wins the Big Ten and goes to the playoff. Like that would be a great story. Because, you know, JC, you and I, what was it, a month, month and a half ago, what did we talk about? Chaos. Could this be 2007? And I was kind of secretly hoping it would be, just to mix it up a little bit. And I'm looking at these playoff rankings, and yeah, Clemson's down this year. We all know that. But what am I looking at? Georgia, Bama, Ohio State. State, Oregon. Oregon. Like, this is not exactly the diversification that I was uh, thinking it could be with the utter chaos because as the dust settled, we're looking at the same programs again, aren't we? Minus a couple. Yeah. I mean, and it's in, in years like this too, it's weird because you've got like the, the, some of the usual suspects and then you've got off brands <laughs> and yeah. I, and I railed against brands earlier, but you know, you've got those, you got all these teams and then you got Cincinnati and Wake Forest. Uh, and you've got Florida giving up 52 points to an FCS. See, school. that's the bigger story. Yeah. The, the, you, know. <laughs> you know, the bigger story this year in college football is the utter disappointment of some brand name programs, Florida, Florida state, Miami, Texas. Uh, uh, I mean, Southern Cal again, if you want to extend it, UCLA again, I, I bought into early on the Chip Kelly hype for this would be the year, and, and then they lay an egg the rest of the year just about. Uh, how, did, how does Florida look this bad? I mean, it, in some ways it almost looked like they quit in the Sanford game. Um, I'm trying to think what other just utter, utter disappointment brand name 
So, I mean, those would lead the way, I would think. I'm probably leaving somebody out. But that's like, that's the hidden gem story. The pain and misery of of those fan bases scratching their head and going, how in the hell are we looking this bad? With all the resources, with all the recruiting, with all the money, with all the this, and you're still struggling. It goes to show you that that is still possible. We might not have a lot of diversity at the top. It might be the same old song and dance, but anybody can hit skid row in college football because we've seen it happen. You name a premier program, and I'll show you a time frame in recent memory where they were not real good. Uh, anyway, all right, we're, we're over time by a long shot. Michael, great job as always. Uh, what, ex- what exciting, as we live vicariously through you, what exciting um, adventure do you have planned here? Well, uh, you know, this week as we head into the holidays, uh, I'm actually off. So I get to oh. relax a little bit. So I'm, I'm looking forward to propping my feet up and actually having yeah. a chance to watch some of these intriguing matchups. So that's that's really what I'm looking forward to. And then, uh, of course, next week is is family time and Thanksgiving and all that good stuff. Right. Yeah, actually, I actually get a weekend. This is maybe my third or fourth weekend in Nashville since April. So I'm looking forward to it. Maybe do a maybe do a little Bed Bath and Beyond, a little Home Depot. I, I don't know if you're going to have the time. I don't know if we'll have time. I really don't. I really don't. We'll see. If you can we'll squeeze see. that in. We'll Great job as dragon. always. We we look forward to uh, having your presence uh, next week. Okay. All right, man. Looking forward to All it. Right. JC. All right. Always Thanks, a guys. This was wonderful. Yeah, we will uh, do it to it again next week for Michael Haney, JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan. Saying so long for now. We'll see you next time on JC and Morgan.